Hello and welcome to the Millennial Minimalist Podcast. I am your host, Kelly Foss, and together with my co-host, Lauren Morley, our mission is to help you simplify your life and live with greater intention. Together, let's live more with less. Hi, everyone. In today's discussion, we talk about how to get your possessions under control so that you can free your mind and feel happier each day. And to lead this conversation, I am joined by world-renowned author and award-winning podcaster and speaker, Gretchen Rubin, to share insights from her book titled Outer Order, Inner Calm, Declutter and Organize to Make More Room for Happiness. Gretchen is a five-time New York Times bestselling author who has recently been recognized as the queen of the self-help memoir and has been interviewed by media moguls, including Oprah. And in her work, Outer Order, Inner Calm, she shares practical tips to help you get rid of the things that you don't use, need, or love so that you can design a happier and more productive lifestyle. And together, we discuss actionable strategies to help you adopt better habits and make better choices that you can create and sustain feelings of inner freedom. You will learn that when you create external order, you will feel greater inner calm, focus, and possibility. Be inspired to remove the excess stuff in your life and start reaping the benefits of a happier every day. Hi, Gretchen. Hey, how are you? Great. How are you? Pretty good. Very happy to be talking to you today. Yeah, likewise. Like, I'm so happy to have you here. You are one of my all-time favorite authors. And oh. so it's such a pleasure to meet you virtually. Oh, well, thanks so much. That's so lovely to hear. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So you are recognized as one of today's most influential observers of happiness. And today I'm so excited to discuss your findings around the relationship between our stuff and our levels of happiness and how creating external order can improve our well-being. But before we go into your insights, can you share a brief background on you, including how you transitioned from working in law to becoming a writer and the experiences that motivated you to study happiness? Yeah, I, so I started my career in law and uh, I was actually clerking on the United States Supreme Court. I was clerking for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when I realized that I actually wanted to be a writer. I got an idea for a book that I wanted to write, um, but I didn't even know I was writing a book. I was just taking notes and kind of thinking and writing. And then finally I thought, well, this is the kind of work a person would do if they were going to write a book. And then I mm -hmm. thought, well, maybe I could write a book. So I went to the bookstore and got, a, got something called, it had a title like how to write and sell your nonfiction book proposal. And I just followed the directions. Now, a lot of people think The Happiness Project is my first book, um, but it was actually my fourth book. Like many people, I worked for 10 years to become mm -hmm. an overnight sensation. Um, but I got drawn into happiness on a, in a very unremarkable moment of my life. I was stuck on a city bus in the pouring rain and I had one of those rare opportunities for reflection, you know, when we step back and ask ourselves big questions. And I thought, well, what do I want from life anyway? And I thought, well, I want to be happy. But I realized I didn't spend any time thinking about, was I happy? Could I be happier? Is it possible to become happier? What is happiness anyway? Uh, so I ran out to the library, got a giant stack of books and started researching happiness just for myself. This was just something that I, I wanted to do a happiness project for myself. But the subject was so vast and so fascinating and I wanted to try and learn about so many things that at a certain point I thought, well, maybe this could be my next book. And in fact, the subject of happiness, good habits, human nature, all these linked subjects have proved to be so fascinating that I've been writing in that area ever since. Wow. I always say that you, you have to find 
one thing that you're passionate about and develop it into a long-term passion. I think that mm. really, really helps. I, anybody who's younger than me, who's like, oh, I don't know what career path to take. I say, try a few things and then yeah. develop it into a passion. And you found yours, which is amazing. Right. Uh, yes. I told a few people were saying, oh, so who are you interviewing? I'm like, Gretchen Rubin. And they're like, oh my God, because I know about you. And, and one who didn't was like, I was like, yeah, she studies happiness. He's like, that's fascinating. <laughs> I yeah. feel like it's a top of a conversation all the time where people are like, what, what could make me happier? I think a lot of people question that. They, they ask themselves like, what could I change in my life that could make me happier? Especially during this time, considering we're still in COVID. Right. People are questioning what they're doing today and, and making changes. So part of our mission at Millennial Minimalist is to help people not only simplify their lives, but live with greater intention once they've cleared the clutter from their life. Yes. And I, you know, I, I always say that the best way to get started is to clear the physical excess out of your home. And yes. I'm curious, what inspired you to start decluttering your things? And how did your experience influence your happiness and expand your research? Well, it's, I mean, there just is this sort of disproportionate uh, relationship for most people, not for everybody, but for most people between outer order and inner calm. I definitely feel that myself. And as I've talked to so many people about happiness, it, it, it's just, it's sort of inexplicable. And in fact, I went on and wrote the book, Outer Order, Inner Calm, because I was just very intrigued by this because over and over people would say things like, you know, I, I got control of my stuff and now I feel like I have better control of my life. Um, or a friend of mine said, I finally cleaned out my fridge and now I know I can switch careers. And, you know, it's, it's irrational to think that if you have outer order, you're going to have inner order. And yet over and over people report that they feel that way. And I definitely feel that way. And just by creating outer order that you just, people, people describe, they feel like they're lighter. You know, this is the metaphor that people often like. I put a backpack off my 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 off my back, or I've get lost ten pounds, or like they, you know, they just feel sort of like they're freer, and 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 often we literally have more space because if we get rid of all the stuff that we don't need, don't use, don't love, a lot of times there just is more space, and then there's fewer things to keep track of, and you don't lose things as easily. It's easier to dust, you know, so there is a kind of freedom. Um, and also uh, with a lot of things like say clothes or papers, you know, they, they, they make claims on our attention or we have to sort our way through them. And so by getting rid of them, there's just like a, a like a level of clarity that we get. Um, and so I, and, and it's just interesting to me how something this simple does seem to have a more complicated and, 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 and deep relationship. It's sort of, you're like, oh, why does it matter so much if you make your bed? It's like, what's the big deal? And yet over and over people are like, oh my gosh, I started making my bed and my whole life is better. And you're like, okay, well, that's just intriguing. Um, mm -hmm. But it's real for most people. Mm -hmm. I remember that moment. There was a point in my life where I wasn't making my bed. And when I started making my bed, it just made me feel put together. And, yes. you know, it's, it's your first accomplishment of yes. the day, which makes everything else easier, right? Yes. Uh, yes. And in your book, you mentioned a floor drobe, which I found very, yes. very funny. I think yes. a lot of us have floor drobes. My co-host and I do not anymore. But I think at one point we did. And, you know, it's unfortunate that the majority of our clothes get thrown on a chair or on right. the ground, and we feel like we have nothing to wear. Yes. Uh, when in reality, 
if we downsize everything, we'll actually yeah. appreciate all those clothes a lot more. Well, um, let, me give me, let me give you the best example of that. I went out because I always beg my friends to help me clear their clutter. So I'm always going over like whenever oh, that's they'll fine. let me. So I had a friend who had this giant closet, like a really, really nice closet, but it was so packed full of things that she couldn't put anything away or get anything out easily. And so she had sort of like a capsule wardrobe that she kept in her bathroom. She and her husband always used the shower, so they didn't use their bathtub. And she used her bathtub as her wardrobe and just draped all the clothes that she actually wore day to day over her bathtub. Okay. So I'm like, she has this huge closet totally unused because it's so packed full of clothes. Mm -hmm. And so we spend all these hours like going through her closet and then she actually didn't have that much stuff. Once we got rid of it all, moved it off the bathtub. And in the midst of this at like 11 PM, her husband walks through, sees what we're doing. And she tells me the next day he was so inspired oh. by seeing what she did that he cleaned out his closet like at two in the morning. Um, mm -hmm. Because it is, it's this thing where it's like, there's so much you use none of it. Yeah. And by having less, you're more engaged with it. You feel like you have more even when you've, you've gotten, you know, you've given away a lot of things. Yeah. And you start appreciating it more. Yes. And yeah. yeah you, you mentioned that in your book. You said that having less often leads us to use our things more often and with more yes. enjoyment. Yes. And that's, it's so true. I can't express how, how true that is. I mean, I think letting go in the beginning is a challenge, but yes. once you start letting go, it's yes. so much easier to let go of other little things. You know, I, yes. I think you mentioned yes. in your book that once you start letting go of, you know, like even paper files, certain paper files, it'll get quicker next time you do it because you've done it before. Yeah. And don't you find that often when people are doing a major clutter clearing, it kind of happens in layers and like often you'll go through and you'll get rid of a bunch of stuff, but then it kind of loosens your hold on the next layer. And so often like you do several passes through and like a friend of mine had a, uh, like a, this wasn't even a basement. It was like this tiny room mm -hmm. um, with a very low ceiling and they had just packed it full of junk and she wanted to use it as like a meditation and yoga room, which it would be perfect for. And she said it took, like, she cleared everything out, she thought, and then she went back and she's like, actually, there's a lot more here I can clear out. And then she went back like a week later and was like, wait, you know what? Now that I think about it, there's a lot of stuff I don't need. So I think sometimes we have to sort of loosen our hold and we can't do it all at once. It, it takes like, you kind of have to work through. And as you get rid of things and you realize it isn't painful and you do feel freer, mm -hmm. then you want more. You're like, I want more room on the shelves. I want more room for yoga and meditation and less room for storing my kids stuff from grade school. <laughs> and it's actually a fun experience to declutter. It becomes yes. fun <laughs> over time. Yes. It really does. Oh, I just had an ecstatic clutter clearing experience with like, I have, I, had a, I have a whole perfume collection and I realized it had gotten, it was, everything was put away, but it looked visually messy. And I was like, it's not enough that they're just in, in their place. I want it to be visually cleaner, mm -hmm. like less visual noise. And oh my gosh, it just got such a thrill. For, I, I get happy just thinking about it now. And you realize you didn't use a lot of them? Well, this is sample. So uh, this is like side note. I'm also like, I love perfumes and I love samplers for some reason. And so, you know, when you buy a perfume and they give you the little samples, yes, the little glass vials, I keep those. I just, I'm like a miser with a hoard. I just like having them, you know, <laughs> and this is one of my things. When you ask yourself about your possessions, you say, do I need it? Do I use it? Do I love it? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we have things that we don't really need or use, but we just love them. And I'm like, I just love having these. I want to keep them. It makes me happy to have them, but I don't need to look at them in messy glass containers. I can get a beautiful box, put them in the box, 
and I know that they're there and I can look at them whenever I want, but, but they're not, but the visual noise is less. Um, right. So for me, it's not important that I have my actual perfume collection of my 17 favorite perfumes that I wear all the time. And those are like right at hand, right in my, you know, right at eye level in my, my medicine cabinet. The, okay. the, these are my samples. Yeah. I always tell people, you know, you don't have to get rid of everything. No. If there's something that you really, really love and you're a collector yes. of X item, yes. you can keep that as long yes. as it gives you uh, what do you call it? Um, Marie Kondo would say, yeah, sparks yeah, spark, joy. Spark. You know, as long as it sparks joy and you know, you enjoy it and it's, it's something that you, you know, you look at and you love it. So, yeah. I, and I think, and one thing I also see, and I write about this in outer order inner calm is there are abundance lovers and simplicity lovers and simplicity lovers also often really do want to take it down. They like, you know, bare surfaces and lots of room on the shelf and not much on the walls, but abundance lovers love collections and profusion and buzz. And maybe they like piles of things and, and, and they, they don't want a minimal look. They're not aiming at that, but they still, it's like, even if you love abundance, you don't like clutter. Clutter is just the stuff that's junking up your space. It's stuff you don't need, don't use, don't love. And so even if you love abundance, your, your collections, your, your abundance will show more beautifully if all the stuff that's sort of not doesn't really belong or you're like what is that thing anyway or i haven't used that thing in five years or that thing kind of doesn't work anymore but seems like a shame to give it away it's like okay that broken umbrella is not doing anybody any good get rid of it yeah it was um so back in 2019 you delivered a talk at a politics and prose event in dc i mm -hmm. love that talk everybody should go watch it on youtube oh wonderful yeah, and you share some of the great benefits that come with Outer Order, including it makes it easier to find things, you said. Yes, yes. Uh, it helps us get rid of, of things that make us feel bad. Maybe there's things that give us bad memories or yeah. thing, items that no longer fit us that we're looking at every day. And most significantly, you said that when we get rid of all these things, uh, we feel more engaged with uh, the things that we do use and love each day, right? And we take better care of them. Now, uh, when you think of like Marie Kondo and the home edit and those shows on Netflix, so I love them. I love the way they organize things in the home edit. I, I, I love, I'm, you know, I'm a believer in what uh, Marie Kondo does. The one uh, constructive feedback I have is that they don't get to the root of the problem with those that they're working with, especially with the home edit. They're not there with the family members or the individuals that they're helping declutter their homes. You know, it, it, and in your book, you talk about how it's important to build those sustainable habits so that they can continue to declutter on their own for a lifetime and so that they yeah. can maintain this way of life. And uh, you, you discuss one very, very helpful habit that we can all adopt to help us keep excess clutter out. And I'm hoping you can discuss that. This is the one minute rule. And I have to say of everything I've talked about in the happiness project or happier at home or outer order inner calm, this is one of the things that people say to me, this really worked for me. Like I was really able to do it and it really made a difference. And that is the one minute rule. So anything you can do in less than a minute, do without delay. So if you can hang up your coat instead of throwing it over a chair, if you can uh, file a piece of paper instead of leaving it on your desk, if you can carry your dirty coffee cup into the kitchen when you leave your office, these are things that even an extremely busy and uh, overwhelmed person can do because you're not like setting aside even an hour for this. This is just something that you're doing as, as you go through your day. And it doesn't sound very significant, but over and over people have told me that just by observing this, they get rid of that, like all that surface clutter of life that just can make us feel very weighed down. And it's, it's, 
it's tasks that are not significant on their own. It's not like, okay, I'm not asking you to clean out the attic. It's just like, you know, put that book back on the bookshelf instead of just like leaving it on the coffee table for the next six months. And yet people feel like clearing out that kind of scum on the surface gives them a feeling of, you know, greater energy, greater clarity. You don't walk into your office and just see like this mess of stuff. You don't have to fight your way to your desk. Um, and, and again, it's very, it's, it's like, you don't have to make an effort for it because I think a lot of people, they're like, sure, I'd feel better if I cleaned up my office, but in a busy life, who's got the time. And if I do have the time, I don't want to sit here and clean up my office. I want to go do something fun or whatever. Um, but if you just do it one minute at a time, you really start to see the, this progress and, uh, often, and I mean, you know, I know you feel this too, Kelly, like once you start creating order, you tend to want more of it. So it's not even like you have to force yourself to deal with it. It's like you start seeing opportunities for more and you kind of, you've awakened that desire in yourself because you're sort of at a place where you can see it. Whereas if things are really messy, it just feels like, oh, it's just like, who cares? Like it's not even worth it. Messy areas get messier and clear areas tend to get clearer. So you kind of need to get to that tipping point. <laughs> Yeah. And, but you know what you, it starts with the little things. Let's yes. say that I am watching a TV show commercial comes on. I can take one minute to put Absolutely. away X item that I left out at the end yes. of the day. I am changing my clothes into my pajamas. Yes. Put my clothes onto the hanger. It's so hard for people to put their clothes back on the hanger, especially yes. for my mom. Yes. She continually yes. puts it on the chair. I'm like, it's the difference yes. of 20 seconds. So. Okay, but here's something, if you really don't like hangers, try hooks. Um, because my family, we would not hang up our coats. And I'm like, I, you know, it's like change your situation, not yourself. And I put a bunch of hooks up and people are really much better about hooks. And a lot of people, I, this, is, this is a category of thing I didn't know about until I started writing Outer Order in Recall. It doesn't really okay. bother me, but many people have this sort of theoretical problem with things that are neither clean nor dirty. They're not fresh out of the hamper, but they're not really dirty enough to wash yet. And so it feels people don't hesitate to put them back oh. because they're not truly clean, but they're not dirty enough to wash. And what a lot of people say is they'll use hooks or they'll use like, an, you know, kind of an umbrella stand kind of thing or a special um, uh, rod where they put those things, because it turns out that for many people, that's why things are on the floor, on the floor drobe or you know, stuck over a chair, is that they feel like, well, I can't really put it away because it's not freshly clean, mm -hmm. but I don't want to wash it. And so, if, yeah. so, so again, if there's some kind of category of thing that you find yourself never putting away, maybe you're like, oh, this sweatshirt, you know, whatever sweatshirt I'm wearing, I just put, put that on a hook. Because it's, I mean, one of the things, I wrote a book better than before about how we make and break habits. And one of the strategies is the strategy of convenience. And there's just such funny research showing if something is just the teensiest, tiniest bit more convenient, we're far more likely to do it. And you say, how hard is it to hang up a sweater on yeah. a hanger? And it's like, well, you're not doing it. So let's see if we can lower the bar, put mm -hmm. up, you know, if you've got a place to put up uh, uh, a hook, try it because it certainly worked for winter coats and my family um, made a huge difference. And then once you start adopting these tiny habits, you yeah. will start doing it in other areas in your home. You know, one of the things that uh, my co-host and I started doing was once we get the mail, we yes. declutter it right away and oh, we yeah. do that in the mail room. Yes. 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 Oh, it's so much better. 
I love getting rid of mail. I mean, you're left with almost nothing. Yes. So I will say this. Some people are truly clutter blind and they don't see clutter. They don't care about clutter. They don't mind clutter. And, you know, all things being equal, they'd like things to be tidy, but they truly, mm. it doesn't matter to them. And, and like, I know about this because my sister is clutter blind and she would oh. not, she would not close a drawer or a cabinet, you know, ever again. I go to her house and the mail is piled, you know, a foot off the kitchen uh, counter, uh, you know, and when I go there, of course, like I just run around and clear clutter like crazy. It's one yeah. of my favorite things to do. And she very graciously allows me to do it, not because she cares, but because she knows how much I enjoy it. And so I do think sometimes, sometimes there are people where they just don't see any benefit to it. And so I do think that you cannot tell someone like that, you should, or you will feel better or this is the right way. This is a preference. Your preference and the preference for more, most people, and Kelly, your, your preference and my preference is that their things are outer, or, that there's outer order. Mm -hmm. But there are some people for whom this is a matter of total indifference. And if so, if somebody says to you like, I really don't care and I don't see why I should spend one minute of my day keeping your impossible standards because I just don't care, then the answer is not one of us has to convince the other that we're right. It's, well, we have different preferences, so how can we create an environment where we both feel comfortable? Because I don't feel comfortable in the environment that you want, and you don't feel like you want to do the work to, be, to create the environment that I thrive in, so how do we work this out? Which is a very different question from me convincing you that you're wrong, or right. you convincing me that I'm wrong, because these are preferences. And, if so, and, it, and it comes up at work, because sometimes you'll have a boss that says, like, a cluttered desk means a cluttered mind. But maybe my mind thrives on clutter. Maybe right. I like unexpected juxtapositions. Maybe I know exactly where to find everything so it doesn't seem like clutter to me. I, I, I do think that we have to remember that, that these are not universal truths. They are just preferences that many people share. And if you want more, you can get more. And many people like, feel like they can't get enough. But for some people, you know, they, they just don't care. My sister, it baffles me. Yeah. She just no, doesn't I care. I appreciate this, this perspective because I always say that, you know, you can't change people, but right. the best way is to lead by example, because they may see all the benefits that you are earning from living this way. And they may say, okay, well, maybe I'm inspired to do that. Just like sometimes yes. yeah, your friend and her, her boyfriend or her husband yes. started yes. decluttering his closet. Yes. Sometimes that happens because when we change and environment changes and like people get kind of excited by it. And I do think that just having things be put away and there being room to put things away. I mean, sometimes people are like, well, like, you know, nobody ever puts away their, nobody ever hangs up their winter coat. And then I look in their coat closet and I'm like, yeah, because you need the strength of a grown man to jam a coat into this closet. <laughs> like, no wonder your 10 year old is not doing, you know, yeah. when it, you create, you make it easy, you know, by having plenty of room and plenty of space and making it clear where things go. But some people just don't care. And yeah. So, <laughs> Yep. So I think you can't assume that everybody's going to get there. And then there are abundance lovers who just like to you as a simplicity lover, it might look overwhelming. Like my daughter is a, is a, is a, is an abundance lover. And like her room looks overwhelming to me, oh. but to her, it's like beautifully organized and it's exactly the way she wants it. So it's not disorderly or cluttered. Um, even though to my eye, it's not pleasing because mm -hmm. it's too, too, there's too much going on. Right. I actually have a great example of this. Uh, mm. So I loved visual arts in high school and my visual arts teacher was my favorite human. I'll never forget the day he opens a cupboard and it was full of 
little paints, acrylic paints, very messy. And he left the cupboard open and he started talking in front of the class. Yeah. And he pointed me out. He goes, Kelly, does that bother you? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, yes, I really, really want to organize that and close the door. Yes. <laughs> and this was in grade, I don't know, this was in grade, uh, gosh, this must have been grade, I don't know, 11. Uh, Can he just nine, see it on your face that you're like, your eyes were darting to it with like aghast? <laughs> he, he could already tell this piece of my personality. This is before yes. I discovered minimalism and simplicity, right. but I always had that in me. Oh, I appreciate it to be orderly. And that actually distracts me mentally. So when I'm yes. in this space and I'm yes. drawing, yes. And I'm creating yes. art. Yeah, I yes. want that to be close. Yes. yes. So. And this comes up like, let's say you work in an open office situation. For you, all this is like distracting. It's keeping you from like that mental clarity and focus, whereas other people might not be bothered by it. So it is very important to be aware of it. It, 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 it is funny. Like, I, you know, you're just like, how can you live like this? Just, <laughs> yeah, you know, so, so uh, just messy. And, and yeah, it's not, and it doesn't feel like it, it was like, oh, it would spur your creativity more to have them organized by color or by medium or something, um, whereas somebody else might not feel that way. You yeah. Know, I'm glad that we've identified that not everybody is going to be a minimalist and not everybody needs to be a minimalist, but those oh, who well, are inspired should adopt this lifestyle. Yeah. Well, and here's another difference. And it's, Kelly, it sounds like you and I maybe are on the other side of this divide where like, I really want things, I care a lot about knowing where things are. Like I hate to look for things mm -hmm. or, you know, I like to, I like, and I like to have things put away nicely but it doesn't matter a lot to me, like if things match. So say, you know, there's the aesthetic where, okay, I have all of my, my cereals, my grains, my rices. It's, I want to have matching glass jars that, you know, all look alike. And so it's very pleasing or like, I need to have all matching hangers. And to me, that doesn't matter. Maybe because I'm an underwire, I don't like to buy things. Like people who love order keep saying to me, Gretchen, you have to get matching hangers. You'll just, it will, your closet will look so much better it'll just, it'll just lift your spirits. But as an underbuyer, I'm like, I cannot justify getting rid of a bunch of perfectly good hangers just because they don't match. Cause like they're the ones that came with my clothes from the store. That doesn't matter to me. But then for some people though, they want even that additional level of sort of aesthetic pleasure. And it sounds like you're, you're that you, you love that. To, well, you know. I'm one level down. I would say I would say I'm closer to you. So oh, okay. my my co-host is the natural minimalist. She's always lived this way, and she just loves all of her hangers are white, just beautifully yeah. aligned. Yeah. And yes. And I always had random hangers. Yeah. Uh, sustainable hangers. Yeah. And then, of course, inspired by Lauren, I gave those to my mom, and I got uh -huh. new ones because yeah. I wanted to follow Lauren. <laughs> right. 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 To have um, them. But you're right. I mean. We're, we all have our different extremes. Again, yes. one size doesn't fit all. Uh, you yeah. know, even just adopting this lifestyle looks different for everybody. That's 100%. what I'd like to communicate. And, yes. you know, something, something that uh, you always communicate to, you know, your, your readers, your listeners, is that when it comes to getting started, we, we shouldn't stress about getting organized right? Yes. Like it's not about organization. And yeah. you really stress that you're like, a lot of people go into it being like, like my mom's always like, I don't know where to start. I yeah. don't know how to, like, like yeah. I got to organize this room. I yes. got to organize yes. this room. I'm like, no mom, you need to declutter yes. that room. So this, this mentality, like it, it, the whole idea is that, um, it leads us to organize things we don't need, use or love, and yes. it can cause us to buy things to store yes. things that we don't need. Yes. <laughs> and I love this approach because I think it's a common approach that people yeah. get lost in. 
Yes. So I'm curious, like what question, like, is there maybe a question that we can ask ourselves to figure out what area we should start decluttering first? Cause it's going to be different for everybody. You know, I'm a big believer in just kind of the morale boosting of tackling the area that bothers you the most. So for some people that might be their home office, for some people that might be their closet. That's a classic thing. For some people, it might be like the kitchen counter. There's certain areas that are kind of dining room table, um, right by the front door. There mm -hmm. tend to be areas that are hot spots, And if there's one that is just sort of grating on your nerves the most, I would start there. Mm -hmm. And I would ask yourself, you know, do I need it? Do I use it? Do I love it? Mm -hmm. And look at everything. And, and, and if I do need, need use or love it, is it in the right place? And start working your way through. And I do think, because you, as you were saying before, there's a kind of um, satisfaction and energy that we get from, from clearing clutter. And so if you start with whatever's annoying you most, or maybe causing you the most inconvenience, like my, my office is such a, you know, the area around my, my computer is such a mess that I can't, I can't find what I need quickly or easily. Solving that will then give you the energy to tackle the next one. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is someplace like I differ from Marie Kondo. I'm curious to hear what you think, because she has a very strict order in which you tackle things. And I'm like, I don't know. I think people have very, they go into it with very different needs. And I wouldn't want somebody to get distracted or bogged down in something that they don't even really care about and isn't even really weighing on their mind that much. Seems like start where it's going to like give you the biggest lift. I know. It's like uh, my mom started watching Marie Kondo. She's like, I was like, okay, let's start decluttering together. We just started decluttering one area of the living room. And she goes, oh, but I love this. Oh, but I love this too. I love this too. I'm like, you love everything, but yeah. you don't actually need it or use it. She's like, oh, that's true. I was like, well, will you, will you use this item that you've used, I don't know, two years ago in the future? She's like, right. probably not. Right. <laughs> so you have to be, I, in your book, you talk about being forward thinking. Yeah. You know, think, will I still use you? Yes. You know, yes. because we'll end up keeping all these items that we're not using. Right. Oh, and then, and something else is, uh, you know, sometimes we hold on to items that are, you know, passed down from my dad's parents, my, yeah. my dad's grandparents, beautiful China, and it's just kind of sitting there and it's not being used when, because they don't want to use it because it's beautiful, but it's like, yeah. well, why don't you start using it? He's like, my dad said the other day, he's like, yeah, we should clean it out and start using it. You know, why, why just keep it in the house and have it collect us? Let's use it. Let's, let's make use of this stuff. And, and I think it, I think you also talked about how you kept a candle for a very, very long time. And then the candles just didn't work anymore. Yeah, like no, you yeah. the oils can separate out yeah. and you know, you see the same thing with like, you have a really fancy, you know, kitchen like ingredient and it just sort of loses its, it's, you know, it's a spice that loses its kick um or you know thing or like you have really fancy stationery and then it kind of like sort of turns yellow and looks a bit faded mm -hmm. so yeah sometimes we save things i really have a tendency to do this like i'll buy a white t-shirt and i won't wear it for a year because i'm saving it it's so so now when i buy something new i try to wear it right away so that i don't start to save it okay and you know i got a candle for christmas and i'm like i burned it right away because i don't want <laughs> to start to I've, I've made that mistake so i think yeah this using things up one of the most poignant stories I heard when I was writing Outer Order, Inner Calm was somebody said to me that after her mother died, they were, you know, cleaning out the house and she found a, a like a special set of like fancy china that her mother had saved for like a special occasion. And she said, 
I cannot remember a single time in my life that was a special, that was special enough that my mother got out her special China. She said, and now I use it every day, just as, just as you had that conversation with your father. So I do think, you know, a lot of times, and then it's like, well, what if it breaks? Well, it's like, it's better that it breaks and has been used than it. I mean, you're wasting it by keeping it on a shelf just as yeah. much. And, and also, I mean, we're sort of going through this big transition of stuff between generations now. Part of it is, mm -hmm. you know, you might be thinking that you're saving it for someone else to enjoy, but that yeah. person may never end up wanting it. It's like, oh, there's this huge platter that you thought was so fabulous that you never used it because you didn't want to chip it because you wanted to give it to your daughter. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, but your daughter lives in a studio apartment in New York City and it's like, I don't have room for an eight foot platter. Yeah. Or it's like your mother saves her wedding dress. She's like, oh, because you might wear it. And it's like, no. <laughs> I know. I kind of regret. I do have my wedding dress in a box. It's like so small. I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep it. But I kind of wish I'd let my daughters play dress up in it, which is incredibly okay. wasteful, but they would have loved that. Right. And um, I don't know, maybe that is too wasteful, but it is a, a wedding dress. So many people talk about wedding dresses because it, it is, it's an object that has a lot of uh, like superstitious power. So yeah, no, that's a tricky one. And, and, and you said in your book, hanging on to things from the past can cramp our ability to embrace the present, which yeah. is so true. I mean, especially things that aren't serving us anymore. And, and you, uh, you also touch on sentimental items and I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on sentimental pieces. Should we keep a few to spark memories? Well, this is, a, a, I think, an extremely interesting area kind of with, within the, the, the larger subject of people's relationships to objects, because mm -hmm. I do think that we do have very powerful attachments to possessions. We use them to embody the people and activities and experiences that we love. And so I think sometimes when people just sort of hand wave and say like, well, you should just get rid of it all. I, I don't think that's, that, I don't think most people wanna live that way. People do want to hang on to things for sentimental reasons. So I think what I think works best for me, and I've, I've talked to a lot of people, is to really try to, th try to think about that's what you want. You want to hang on to memories. You wanna hold on to feelings of attachment and love. And so, you don't do that by keeping box after box after box of stuff that you put in the basement that gets moldy and that you never look at. So actually, mm -hmm. if you want to serve a memory, you're better off like very carefully curating things so that there's just a few enough to bring back memories, sort of the best examples so that you can easily look at them, display them, store them so that they're at your, they're at the ready. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I have like, I have a, a friend who had twins and, she just had box after box after box of schoolwork of theirs and nobody ever looked at it. Whereas what I do is I have a file folder for each of my children's school year. And I put just like the, the best stuff, the most representative stuff there. And like, that's actually easy. Like you can just get, it's just on a shelf. You can get it down. You can open up the, the folder, look at it. It's fun. It's easy. It doesn't take up much space. It's like, it's all carefully uh, preserved. Mm -hmm. And so that, but it's, so it's not like I'm like, oh, get rid of everything from my daughter's kindergarten year, but it's also like, don't keep everything from my daughter's kindergarten year. Yeah. Or like maybe you want college t-shirts. It's like, okay, pick a few college t-shirts and then take pictures of the others so you can kind of have the memory, but you don't need every college t-shirt to hang on to that memory. Or like when my grandfather died, I was told that I could take anything that I wanted um, mm -hmm. to remind me of him. And it's like, well, I could take his chair that he sat in all the time, like his, you know, big chair. I could take his desk that like I very much associated with him, or I could keep like a mantelpiece clock 
because he loved clocks and collected clocks. Well, you know, or I could keep his pocket watch because he was an engineer on the Union Pacific Railroad. And so his pocket watch was like a very, very big thing. I took the pocket watch because I only needed one thing. I don't even really need anything, but I wanted one thing to remind me of my grandfather. And I picked a thing that was the smallest and the easiest to handle and display. And so now it's out where I see it all the time, you know, rather than some chair, which is like, okay, mm-hmm. how am I going to handle that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you can choose the objects in which you embody these, these memories, but that means choosing them very carefully, you know, thinking I want to curate, uh, I want the best and I want them to be manageable. Mm-hmm. So something I do is uh, I have a little memory box and mm-hmm. I keep sentimental items from over the years in this box. And I yeah, go, through we have it. that too. Oh, you do. Yeah. I think it's so great. So, and I yeah. have this box, I go through it once a year and I actually take things out each year so I can keep it in the same size box. So what still brings me value? What still brings me value? And it, the reason why I keep this is so that one day, you know, a future partner in my life, I can show him all these things yeah. and share yeah. He can share in those experiences with me. And something else I did recently with my mom is you were talking about how you have this book with all your, your daughter's things from kindergarten. Yeah. Uh, my mom has this book. It says grade one, grade two, grade three, grade four. It covers all the grades and it has all of our work in, in all the grades. Yes. And we went through it together and I just took out the pieces. I'm like, mom, do we really need this little painting that, you know, it's, it's collecting dust and you yeah. know, it has like three brush strokes on it. We don't need yeah. that. Uh, yeah. So we got rid of all those little things and, and it was it was a, it was a really big box and we brought yeah. it way down. And I, yeah. I think it's really helpful to do it together yeah. as well yes. so that yes. I'm not left with a ton of stuff yes. <laughs> in the future. Yeah. So. Well, actually in exactly that, I created something called a memento book, um, oh. which I sell in, in the happiness project shop. And it's, it's, it's just like envelopes where you put things, but it's limited. So you, you can't just keep overstuffing it. But like, let's say you took a trip to France and you wanted to keep the menu and the ticket stub and, you know, the postcard or whatever, you could put it there and, and keep these things preserved, but in a way that's kind of limited. So you have to pick and choose. Um, And then it's very much like when you want to go get it, you can go get it and you just put your hands right on it. Um, Because I do think, uh, and I think doing it with someone else would be so much fun. Like you could say like, well, let's have a big pile of everything from our, uh, the year that we spent abroad or like my gap year. I have all this stuff from my gap year, but now I'm going to like divide it month to month to month um, and use it as almost like a a diary of, of, you know, uh, uh, stuff. And I think doing it with someone else would be so much fun. That's a great idea. Wow. I'm going to link this in our show notes. That's amazing. Yeah. I didn't know it's about really that. Neat. And it, you know, it's funny. It was inspired by something that my grandparents gave me where it was like, it was called school years. And I put my report card and my class photo and stuff like that. And I like, oh. I have treasured this my whole life. And I, I thought, oh, but this, you could use this in a million different ways. It's like, if you're like, you know, 2022 is my year of fine dining. And I want to track like what I tried and the recipes I cooked and the restaurants I went to and the menus and all this. It's like the the wine I drank. It's like, oh, let's, let's give you a a book where you can do that in a very organized fashion. Just the organization itself is so pleasing, right? Like having your memory box. It's like, 
ooh, this thing is so special. I'm going to put it in my memory box. It's very satisfying. You have a place for something. It really is. Even, I mean, you said some people, you like to know where everything is. Yes. Uh, my co-host Lauren, she has basically nothing in her apartment. It's so funny. She knows exact. she has one pen and she always knows exactly where that oh, pen wow. is. It's just, she's just hilarious. <laughs> she's also a comedian. So, yeah. uh, but no, I know how it is. It's like, let's say I'm away and someone needs to go to my house to grab something. I know exactly where it is. And, yes. and if listeners are listening, they're like, oh my goodness, that sounds like a dream. And I don't know if I can get there, but you can get there. It just takes yes. time. Again, this lifestyle is not overnight, but no. I think that one of the biggest challenges for people is navigating things coming in as it's easy yeah. to accumulate more. Yes. So I'm hoping you can share a couple of tips to help people avoid needless buys. Yes. Okay. You're absolutely right. The best way to clear clutter is never to accumulate the clutter in the mm -hmm. first place. Um, and so, well, one, there's a couple different things. One is um, there's a kind of person that has a has, gets clutter because they're always worried about that they might need something. So like, I'm going to go on a trip to France and I think of 15 things that I might need. So I go get them. Or I'm like, oh, winter is coming. Uh, maybe I'll need this. I'll need a hand warmer. I need, you know, I need a, a scraper. I'll need, you know, and they go ahead and sort of buy in anticipation. If you're like that, one of the things you can remind yourself is that you can store it at the store. This thing, you might need this thing. It's there when you want it, but just for now, just store it at the store and they will hold on to it for you. And then you can go get it if you need it. So you don't need to have it under your roof. You can store it at the store. Another thing, especially if you're a person who tends to do online shopping is delete all your accounts and always shop as a guest. So this means that every single time you have to enter your billing information, your shipping information, um, and kind of go through that whole process. And again, you know, we were talking earlier about convenience. When something is more convenient, even slightly more convenient, we're more likely to do it. And if something, conversely, if something is slightly less convenient, we're less likely to do it. Um, so you can do that. You can also, um, what many people find is that they like the process of just identifying something. It's kind of like your, your magpie desire to like pick and choose and to identify. Many people say that they've learned that they can fill their cart and then just abandon it that it's like they, they don't even really need to buy it. It's just the process of sort of identifying it. I have to say as an underbuyer, this is absolutely baffling to me. Um, but many people say like, once I realized that I could just not buy it. Um, mm -hmm. Another thing some people do is they only, if, they, if you're the kind of person who likes to go into a store, they only go into stores that are very, very expensive. Because a friend of mine said like, it's, it's like going into a museum, only you can touch everything. And like, I love beautiful objects, but there's no way I'm gonna buy like some 18th century vase, whatever, right. but I can enjoy looking at it. But if, if I'm in a store where I can afford things, I get caught up in that, well, maybe I should buy it. But if it's so expensive, you're like, I'm not gonna spend $5,000 on a vase. Then you can just enjoy the experience of sort of wandering around. Cause some people just like to delight the eye in it, you know, with that experience. And so I thought that was sort of a counterintuitive uh, solution. Um, and if you go into a store, don't take a basket or a cart, really hold things in your hand. And if you have to take something, take a basket, not a cart, because this is again, convenience. If it's like very unwieldy to carry these things and you're lugging them around, classic is to shop from a list. If you see something that you really think you need and it's not on the list, you can say to yourself, I mean, I'm a big believer in convenience. So I would say, it's not that you cannot buy it, but you have to continue all the way through the store, complete your list, and then you have to go back to that thing. Again, convenience. A lot of times you've got all this stuff in your hands, you're done with your list. You're like, do I really need 
that blah 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 you know yep. that super cute guest towel with a christmas tree on it you know what <laughs> i don't think it's worth the trip back you know you can kind of convince yourself in the moment but if you have to like actually schlep back and get it uh maybe you won't shop with like um if you shop with uh a child or a man um that tends to make you uh shop for a shorter amount of time and the longer you spend in a store and the more you touch or taste the more you're likely to buy so get in get out mm -hmm. don't linger don't take a sample um <laughs> you know uh just uh grab grab your items and go that's so funny my mom loves her samples and she's yes. easily convinced to like this product will do this and my mom gets so excited i'm like mom you don't need it <laughs> right no i mean that's they really work they really do work they really really do work so um great tips i love these tips so much i would add that don't go grocery shopping hungry yes <laughs> you will buy everything you don't need yes, um, yes yes so also in your book outer order intercom you touch on another book of yours called the four tendencies which yes. is the most amazing book everybody oh, has read it, which describes four different personality types based on a response to inner and outer expectations and you explain how understanding our own tendency can help us improve every area of our lives which is yeah. a really bold statement so i'm hoping <laughs> you can briefly describe these tendencies and how understanding our tendencies can help us bring inner calm or help bring us inner calm yeah, so I will briefly describe these and just about everybody can figure out what they are just from this brief description. They can probably identify many people in their lives. We can do the Game of Thrones characters. We can do Parks and Recreation characters. These are very easy to spot once you know what you're looking for. I will say that if people want to take a quiz and get a report, because some people like that, if you go to GretchenRubin.com slash four tendencies, F-O-U-R tendencies, it's like a very quick quiz three and a half million people have taken it and it will you know give you a diagnosis and a report but like i say you don't you, you can probably tell what you are just from this the description i've already sent it to five plus friends so oh, yeah good yes oh it's so fun to do it with friends or family members and, yep. and see if you can predict what people are because you can almost always predict it's hilarious mm -hmm. okay so you, you you defined it exactly right so what this is looking at is um how you respond to expectations and so we all have outer expectations which is like a work deadline and we have inner expectations like i want to keep a new year's resolution to make my bed every day and then we and then we either meet or resist outer and inner expectations and that's what makes us an upholder a questioner an obliger or a rebel so upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations they meet the work deadline they keep the new year's resolution without much fuss they want to know what other people expect from them but their expectations for themselves are just as important so their motto is discipline is my freedom then there are questioners questioners question all expectations they'll do something if they think it makes sense they need a lot of reasons justifications they don't like anything arbitrary um so they make everything an inner expectation if it meets their inner standard they'll do it if it fails their inner standard they will push back so they're always asking they're always keeping an eye on why that's their motto and these are the people who are like why should i make my bed if i just unmake it every day because it's like why would i bother why 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 then there are obligers obligers readily meet outer expectations but they struggle to meet inner expectations and i will say this is the biggest group for both men and women the, the biggest group of people are obligers and the i got my insight into this when a friend said to me you know when i was in high school i was on the track team and i never missed track practice so why can't i go running now well when she had a team and a coach 
expecting her. She had no trouble. But when she's trying to go on her own, it's a struggle. So if people are obligers, what they need is outer accountability, even for an inner expectation. They have to have the architecture of outer accountability. So their motto is, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. Right. And then there are rebels, and rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do. They can do anything they choose to do. They will, they will live up to their identity, their choice, their freedom. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they are very likely to resist. And typically they don't even tell themselves what to do. Like they don't say, oh, I'm going to make my bed every day because they think, well, I don't know what I'm going to want to do tomorrow. And just the fact that anybody is telling me to do it bugs me, even if it's me. Uh, so their motto is, you can make me, and neither can I. Wow. So those are the four. And you can see how this would come into play as people are trying to create outer order. So obliger, I remember talking to an obliger who uh, at a book event where um, she and her mother came up and she's like, oh, I have this terrible problem. I, you know, my guest room, it's a huge mess. I just dump everything in there and I keep trying to like get myself to do it what do I do? And her mom was like, yes, it's a mess. I've been after her for months. She can't clean it out. How do I battle this procrastination? I was like, invite somebody to come stay for the weekend. Mm, right. Yeah. You got to clean it out. It's a guest yeah. room. Oh yeah. You got to clean it out. Yep. Like you need that outer accountability, invite people over, mm -hmm. you know, have your book group come over to your house instead of meeting at a restaurant. It's like, yes. okay, you got to clean it up. Yes. Or think about how you want to set a, you want to be a role model for someone else or think about, oh, if I create this outer order, you know, everyone will get greater clarity and we'll all, you know, we'll all, uh, you know, feel more comfortable in our space. So that's, mm -hmm. but for a questioner, it's really why, why am I doing this? Because like, maybe I don't think there's a point to it, in which case the questioner won't do it. But you could be like, well, you know, research shows that Americans spend like 55 minutes a day looking for misplaced items. I mean, and I see you racing around the house, looking for your keys, looking for your iPhone, looking for a charger, looking for the parking ticket you need to pay. You're just wasting all this time. If we cleared up this, if we cleared all this clutter away and like put the keys away in the same place every day, like think of how much time and energy you would save just, yes. just in a flash. Mm -hmm. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll just, you know, and then it's like, yeah, you know what, actually, I would really like to save that time and that energy. It's really bugging me. It's like, mm -hmm. that makes good sense. But if you just say to a questioner, like, we need to clean out the basement this weekend. They'll be like, we never use the basement. Why do, why do we need to clean it out? Right. Why do we need to clean it out by this weekend? Like, I got other things I want to do. It's like, oh, we need to clean it out because our friends are coming over and they're going to want to play ping pong and we can't play ping pong because it's covered with stuff. So let's clean it off. So if our friends want to play ping pong, when they visit this weekend, they can. And it'll be like, okay, that makes sense. Let's go clear off the ping pong table. Mm -hmm. With rebels, it's identity. Like they got to want it. They got to choose it. You cannot say you have to, you must. Research shows, none of that. It's like, what do you want? Like you're a creative person. You love to paint. And when you open this cabinet, you cannot find that, that perfect green without searching and searching and searching because it's all just a mishmash for creativity like yours. You want your tools right at hand. You just want to be like a surgeon reaching for a scalpel. And so let's organize this in a way so that, you know, you have the beautiful tools that you need because you're an artist. And like, this is what you need to express yourself, mo you know, most smoothly. It's like, yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. That makes sense to me. That's my, that's my identity. Or like, let's, or, you know, you're an athlete. 
you know, you don't want to have to like, you don't want all your, all your, your equipment to like get ruined or like you can't find it or it's a mess. Like an athlete like you, like, let's keep this stuff organized. Let's display this stuff. Like, so it looks attractive and you can just get exactly what you want and stuff doesn't get ruined because it's like on the wet uh, garage floor. It's like, right. I mean, I'm an athlete and an athlete respects their equipment. And these so are the conversations we can have with ourselves, yes. right? A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Or I'm, I, I'm a hospitable person and I want to have, I want to create an atmosphere um, where people feel comfortable. And if there's just junk on every place to sit, they can't do it. Um, and so I'm not, I, I can't like have that hospitable, gracious identity that is so important to me. So, yeah, I love the idea of like, you can be more intentional, right? Yes. And when you're talking about this, I am thinking about all the people that I know, and I can think of someone that fits every category, which oh, is yeah. so funny. Yeah. I just love the idea of understanding your tendencies because this could apply to every area of your life. Like I had a very close friend of mine do this quiz and I was like, okay, now I like understand you more. Like I understand right. what you need from me as a friend as well. Yeah. So outside of applying it to living simply. No, it, it's really valuable because you can just communicate with people more effectively. Like with a questioner, like whenever I deal with a questioner, I'm just always very careful to explain why I'm asking for something. Like if I, if it was a coworker, I would say something like, can I have that by Friday? Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to have a lot of time on Saturday and I, and then I could get it back to you by Monday. But if I don't get it until Monday, I really won't be able to get it back to you till Friday or whatever. Because, because I just say like, can I have it by Friday? They might be like, well, why? Like it, it just mm -hmm. explaining why is a big deal. Or again, like you're asking me to clean the attic. Why, why, why the attic? Why now? And with an obliger, you do, they just need that outer accountability. And with a rebel, you just want to make sure that you do not ignite the spirit of resistance. Here's another tip. If you are living or dealing with a rebel or you're a rebel yourself, and this comes up a lot in clearing clutter. If a rebel is like, okay, like I told the example of my friend with her clothes in the bathtub and her husband. Yeah. Yeah. So her husband is a rebel. I know these people well. And the oh. fact is he decided at 2 a.m. to do this. What you do not do with a rebel is say, hey, it's more like it'll be more efficient to do it together. So let's wait till tomorrow. Or why don't you do it in the morning when you're more fresh? Or shouldn't you go to bed now? With a rebel, it's like when they want to do it, let them do it. Because, because tomorrow they may not feel like doing it. And so many people say to me, well, you know, I, I gave this better way to do it. And then they refused to cooperate. I'm like, right. Because you interfered, you told right. them, you convinced them not to do it when they decided to do it. If it's a rebel or if you're the rebel, it's like, they put a very high value on spontaneity. They want to do what they want to do when they want to do it. And so mm. don't get in their way. And, and typically it doesn't, uh, you know, if you're like in a folder or an obliger, it's often very helpful to be like, okay, you know, next Saturday, I just want to let you know, like, let's, let's pick a time. And I really want to spend two hours, you know, working on XYZ project. Rebels don't like that. They don't, they feel trapped by having something on the schedule. So they will resist, not even because they don't want to help or contribute, but because they don't like having something on the schedule. Or this might be right. true of you. Like you, you're like, people keep telling me to put it on the schedule, but the minute it's on the schedule, I don't want to do it. It's like, yeah, wait for the moment to strike you. Yeah. And if it strikes you at 11 PM, fine. Like you got to capture them at that moment when they're ready do. to do it. You're like, no, just let them do their thing. Don't pull let them, them away. Do their thing. Like yeah. a lot of times rebels, people say of a rebel, oh, this rebel is like procrastinating or not cooperating. And I'm like, you know, you're the one getting in their way. 
because when you tell them to do something or remind them to do something, you ignite the spirit of resistance. If you right. would just leave them be, like let them know, you know, with Rebel use information, consequences, choice. You tell them the information they need, you tell them the consequences of their action or inaction, and then you let them decide. So you could say something like, oh, hey, you know, um, your parents are visiting this weekend. And so it would be great to clean out the guest room because it'll just, they'll just have so much more room if we get all that stuff out of the closet. I know a lot of your old clothes are in there now. Um, so, you know, there's room on the shelf in the basement. Uh, so you could move them there and then your parents would have more room for their stuff. And they're coming on Friday. And right. it's like, it's up to you. I mean, you can move your stuff or not move your stuff. Um, but if I keep saying to you like, hey, you better move that stuff or, oh, oh yeah, come on, you said you would no, or, oh, you can't. You know, it's just like you ignite that spirit of resistance. Mm -hmm. You can't speak to that with them that way. You can't, you can't. No, you really can't. So one of the things that you said in your book is that by creating outer order and inner calm for ourselves, we, it gives us a space to turn outwards and help others and bigger problems in the world. And I was like, wow, that is beautiful. It's so true. I, I'd love to remind my listeners that by living this way, you not only create space for you, but you also create additional space to give back. Yes. Which is... I always say that's one of the principles of life is to, I always say love and be loved and then yeah. give back, give your time, help others, inspire others. Like that's what, that's what you do. That's what I do. And it's super rewarding too. You know, in turn, yeah. I always say that um, I learned from a lady named Jacqueline way back in the day. She always says we receive a helper's high. And I was like, yes. oh, that's so true. So true. Yeah. Which yes. comes back to happiness, right? You know, we can create mm -hmm. our own happiness, but by inspiring others and making other people feel happier in their lives. It makes us happier. So it's a beautiful thing. So. Well, it's absolutely true. And research shows that happier, happier people are more likely to donate money. They're more likely to volunteer time. They have healthier habits. They make better team members and better leaders. And you're exactly right. When we turn out, when we're happier, we turn outward and we can think about the problems of other people and the problems of the world. And, you know, yeah. we have the emotional energy to try to help. Whereas when we're feeling like overwhelmed, when we're feeling, you know, unhappy, we can get defensive and isolated and just preoccupied with our own problems. Like we just feel like there's, we're dealing with too much. Yeah. We can't reach out and think about other people or try to, or try to engage. And so you're exactly right. Um, it, it is, if it is selfish to want to be happier, we should be selfish if only for selfless reasons. Yes. This is, this, is, this, is, this is what helps us have the emotional wherewithal um, to turn outward to the world. So Gretchen, I could speak to you forever because I, I just <laughs> love connecting with you. But uh, to close, I have three rapid fire questions for you. Uh, okay. So you can have like, quick answers to them. That would be great. So you were interviewed by Oprah in 2015. And in this talk, you discuss a list of personal rules of happiness from your best-selling mm -hmm. book, The Happiness Project, which everybody also needs to check out. Now, almost seven years later, what would you add to this list, if anything? I think I would add accept myself and expect more from myself. Oh, okay. To challenge yourself every day? Yeah, I need to accept myself and like be Gretchen and accept mm -hmm. sort of my nature, my temperament, my interests, my values. And yet I can also expect more from myself and push myself to do things that are difficult or uncomfortable or, you know, risk failure. So it's, it's a tension between accepting and expecting. Beautiful. What keeps you motivated every day to do the work that you do? Learning. I just, I'm so curious. I'm so endlessly fascinated by human nature. Why do we do what we do? How can we change if we want to change? 
So I love to learn. I love to engage with other people because like to get their insights and observations. Um, the world is my research assistant. So that is really what keeps me going is just wanting to learn more and more about my subject. Curiosity is such an amazing quality. <laughs> I always say uh, to be interesting, be interested. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So true. In a few words, what is one of the greatest benefits you've received from creating outer order and manifesting inner calm? I think creativity. I find that when I have outer order, it helps me to focus. It helps me to stay on task. I don't get distracted. You know, procrastinating um, mm -hmm. is when you procrastinate on a big task by clearing clutter. You know, like, oh, I can't write that report until I uh, dust off my bookshelves and, and alphabetize my books. Right. Um, and so when things are clear, I don't procrastinate because they're already clear. And it just, I could put my hands on any, like any book, any tool that I need right away. That feeds my creativity too, because I just have that sense of sort of uh, ease. It's yeah. frictionless to get what I need um, and beautiful tools make work a joy. And so I like having just the exact, exactly the tool that I need right where I need it gives me that feeling of like creative possibility and focus. Mm, that's super inspiring. Honestly, I, I took away so many incredible tips from this conversation, but so many from your book like that we haven't revealed in this conversation. So I, I hope everybody, everybody picks up Outer Order, oh, Inner Calm. Also, The Happiness Project, which you wrote back in 2009. Yes. Uh, and The Four Tendencies, which you wrote in 2017. Uh, yeah. Take the quiz. I'm going to include it in the show notes. Oh, good. Uh, but where can our listeners find you? So if you go to GretchenRubin.com, that's the hub of all of my stuff. You, oh, and I have a podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where I, I, I talk about how to be happier, spoiler alert, uh, every week. <laughs> and so you can, you can listen to my podcast. And then on GretchenRubin.com, there's a lot of information on my books. I post all the time. If you want to look at the Memento Journal, if you go to uh, the Happiness Project slash shop, you can find it. Um, or on my site. And uh, I'm on social media as Gretchen Rubin, R-U-B-I-N, everywhere on social media. I love to connect with people about insights, observations, questions. So hit me up. And uh, oh, and I have a lot of resources on my site too. Like if you go to the book, Outer Order, Inner Calm, there's, or Four Tendencies, there's lots of resources there if you want to have, go deeper in it or want to read a sample chapter or that's okay. Well, we're going to make sure that we organize this in our show notes. Yes. Yeah, good. It's a lot. I, I got, I got, I got stuff falling out of my pockets in terms no, of I love happiness still, related material. But you've simplified it to one website. So it's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will include everything. Thanks again so much for your time. And uh, let's do this again in, in, in maybe a year or two. It'd be amazing. I love it. We're interested Thanks. in so many of the same things. Yeah, same. we are. We are. We're very similar. Thank you so much, Gretchen. And have a great day. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. That was my conversation with the incredible five-time New York Times bestselling author, Gretchen Rubin. And again, if you'd like to learn more about Gretchen and her book, Outer Order, Inner Calm, and her other writings, please check out GretchenRubin.com. And as promised, you can find this link in the four tendencies quiz we discussed in the show notes. And as always, you can learn more about us on our website at MasterSimplicity.com, where you can find more information on our one-on-one -on -one simple living consulting sessions and our latest closet kit product that we developed to help you declutter your clothes and keep an organized closet for good. And finally, thank you to those of you who have written us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. We came across a few new ones recently and we really enjoyed reading them. Your words really help our podcast grow and help us bring on more exciting guests like Gretchen. So thanks again for listening in and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.